Hi there, and welcome to the Crypto Frontier. I'm Jonathan Miller, Managing Director of Kraken Australia, and I'm glad you could join me out here on the Crypto Frontier. This show will explore the latest in market data trends and go behind the scenes and explore the technology that powers what we call the future of finance. Please note that this podcast does not constitute financial product advice. You should consider obtaining independent advice from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. I hope you enjoy the show. Now for some of the latest news in crypto, brought to you by Kraken Intelligence. China has declared Bitcoin illegal, again. The recent move by the CCP is the latest in a series of 14 similar such pronouncements since 2013, and it has had an expected impact on short-term volatility. That being said, the long-term trend for Bitcoin and crypto more generally is the best measure of its resilience in the face of this kind of news. On-chain staking continues to be a key driver for innovation in the crypto space. Kraken's head of product, Jeremy Welsh, revealed that the total value of assets staked on the platform has reached 10.8 billion USD equivalent, and over 100 million USD in staking rewards has been paid out to Kraken clients. Over in the NFT space, Time Magazine's launch of a collection was sold out in one minute, which some users attribute to bot activity. The timepieces created during the sale, known as minting, give holders ownership of a limited edition digital print and a lifetime membership to the magazine. Okay, that's all the news today. For more insight, make sure you subscribe to Kraken Intelligence at kraken.com. It's now my pleasure to welcome Mike Dunworth, co-founder of Wire, a blockchain payments API, and one of the trustees for the MakerDAO Foundation. All right, Mike, thanks so much for joining me on the show. Um, I'm, uh, you know, we've got a bit of history, but I, I want you to tell everyone else how, you know, you got involved in crypto and blockchain. Yeah, sure. Um, firstly, thanks for having me. Um, mega fan. And obviously, as you said, you know, we've known each other working together on and off, uh, you know, for years past. So, I mean, I started uh, working in cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin back in 2013, uh, moved to San Francisco, did a startup there that's now called Wire. Um, and, you know, we focused on infrastructure solutions for exchanges and wallets. So basically allowing them to clip on fiat uh, fiat to crypto. So buying and selling Bitcoins and other cryptocurrencies of interest. Um, and we sort of put that into an API product so that it's very developer first. And um, yeah, we've just been working and grinding away at that for yeah the better part of eight years now. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun and it's been a wild ride, but it feels like we're sort of at season three of crypto now. So, you know, <laughs> I'm sort of marking the bull runs like they're new seasons of, you know, House of Cards or, you know, whatever, whatever you watch. Um, but it, it's good. It's good fun watching the evolution of the industry for sure. Yeah, I fully agree. And then, okay, so I, I've I've got you on the show to talk about MakerDAO and mm-hmm. it'd be great if you could, you know, I guess, you know, describe your involvement with this project. I mean, you're the, the, the first time I heard about Maker was through you. Mm. So you immediately came <laughs> to mind when I wanted to talk about it. So um, yeah, oh. tell, tell me about your experience, you know, how you came to Maker uh, and, yep. and then maybe we can go backwards and talk about what Maker is, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I, I sort of stumbled across Maker from a good friend of mine, um, and he introduced me to it in probably 2016. Um, and you know, Maker is Maker is a total beast. Like, I mean, from 
from their execution to the project to everything, they're a really exciting project. And the high level of Maker is basically they wanted to solve the volatility problem initially, which was producing a stable coin. So right now we've got lots of stable coins out in the market, USDC, PAX, Gemini, but they're all directly collateralized against a custodian. And so obviously in the essence of the whole uh, blockchain and distributed systems and, and with the technology, Maker went out and basically said, right, well, a lot of people have a lot of different assets on these chains. And what they can do is they can, instead of selling those assets, they could lock those assets up and borrow against them. Just like, you know, you go you go take a mortgage out on your house. If you've got a $10,000 bill, you know, it's pretty impractical to take out a second mortgage on your home to pay off a $10,000, you know, you know, cash flow for, for cash flow purposes, it's going to be impractical to do that. Um, but with Maker, you, it's like literally having a lending facility that's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and the interest rates are extremely friendly. And so for me, I thought that was super exciting. And so the idea of having a, you know, an open, secure, almost like a decentralized Fed reserve, uh, for lack of a better term, but, you know, they're the ones that are, uh, probably the most successful in the industry right now in terms of producing a stable coin and keeping it stable. Um, you know, stable coins are just hard pegged to a to an asset such as, you know, the US dollar, for example. Um, yeah, I mean, let's just drill in quickly on that because yeah. I, I had Kane uh, from SNX on and, you know, his history was he kind of started with yeah. synthetics kind of building a stable coin, yep. right? And yeah. he ended up uh, taking that to the nth degree. <laughs> but yeah. I think let's just drill in and so people can really get a feel for how Maker works. So so yeah. uh, instead of it being sitting on top of, say, a, a, a company, you know, a yeah. company structure, some sort of corporate structure yeah. with a bank account, and in that bank account there's a whole lot of US dollars, um, Maker allows the creation of DAI. And DAI is one-to-one -one pegged with a dollar, but, but underneath mm. that is not dollars, right? No, that's right. And so the idea is like, you know, anyone listening to this at the moment or you or myself, you know, we know that these assets that you lock up, you know, whether that's Ethereum or Bitcoin or whatever, they've got a really volatile growth curve. Now, their growth curve is very consistent, you know, looking over a six year timeline or whatever. But if you look in short term, they're very volatile. And so people get this reluctancy to sell them. You know, if they think that Bitcoin's going to go to 150K and ETH's going to go to 10K, then you don't really want to sell it right now and have a taxable event. And so, you know, this popularity of holding on but borrowing against it so that you don't have to sell um, makes it almost like, you know, if you balance your if you balance your leverage correctly, like if you're not borrowing beyond your means, then you can you can really sort of use it as a tool for cash flow almost. You know, yeah, if you've yeah, got totally. a million dollars worth of ETH, but you don't want to sell it because you're so uh, you're so excited about the ecosystem and the community, then you know if you have something that requires you to pay a bill, the last thing you want to pay your bills with is the most valuable assets, right? You sort of you know if you've got a bill to pay, you're going to try and use the things you don't want to pay for it. So if that's you know dollars, if that's you know some cryptocurrency that you don't need anymore. Um, and so, so Maker sort of, uh, I would say, caters to that. It caters to the ecosystem really nicely because typically with lending, right, when you think of lending, you think of underwriting and lots of busy, heavy work, but you kind of negate all of that risk, uh, you know, risk profiling of the borrower. You negate all of that when you have over-collateralized lending. Which is what Maker is. So yeah. So how over collateralized is it? Give us a flavor. Yes. So so it basically varies based on 
you know, based on the asset you're locking up. So if I go to you with an asset like um, uh, Bitcoin, because of its volatility, you're going to put down probably 150%. Now, people say, what's the point in taking out a loan if, you know, if I've got to have the amount of money and then some to just borrow that amount of money, right? So people think, oh, that's silly. You need under collateralized lending. And it's like, well, not really. Your, your assets are on rocket ships right now. So you... There's no problem with having an over collateralized loan um, where you're, you know, if you want to borrow 100K, you've got to front 150K. I mean, from a system and the stability of a system, if you think of Maker like a bank almost, I mean, that's a rock solid foundation. They're always going to yeah. be solvent, right? Yeah, but it's not even a bank, right? Because I guess to, to make it super clear for everyone, you do this with a protocol. Yes, you're interacting with software that lives on its own. So it's sort of like, you know, it's like a bar in the middle of nowhere. You know, it's not connected to the banks, not anything. It's just sitting out there by itself waiting for someone to come in and use it. And, you know, Maker's got a brilliant community that have gotten it to this point. So you can, you, there's no, there's no, uh, you know, no credit check, no this, no that. It's just walk in, put your money on the table and you can withdraw a certain amount. And there's no questions asked. And that's a really, really powerful thing. As simple as that may seem and obvious, to do that really well, it requires so much risk management on different aspects. You know, what is the market doing? What are the assets that people want to collateralize? So, you know, if you go to your bank, they're not going to take every asset. If you say, hey, here are my beanie babies. Here's um, a photo of my grandma from, you know, 100 years ago. Uh, they're all really valuable to me. Can I get a loan on them? They're probably not going to be that interested in it. So Maker has to curate what they believe is going to be worth their time in letting people borrow against. And well, in so a way, it's they've got to curate what they believe will be able to be liquidated at the market such that exactly. if the value of it does go down. And so just so people get this idea, essentially when you create DAI, in some respects in the kind of um, Black Swan case, you're pre- buying DAI from the protocol in exchange for, say, let's call it Ethereum, right? So you lock up double the amount of Ethereum to the amount of DAI you want, denominated in yep. US dollars. And so mm -hmm. you will lock up, you know, for every one Ethereum, you'll get, you'll get um, you know, 50% of the value of that in DAI itself. Yeah. Now, if the value of Ethereum goes down, right, drastically, Below that threshold, the 150% threshold, or, or, or in other, there's, there's a market for this, obviously, but um, but if it goes down, then the Ethereum gets liquidated by the protocol. Is that is that a good understanding? Yes, and it's basically you get a two-hour grace period between the when you are told that you're out of position, so you get two hours to fill it up, and if you don't, then there's a whole bunch of sharks waiting to scoop up your debt. And what I mean by that is they're trying to buy your debt. And so what that means, they're, they're basically liquidating you. Um, and because it's all autonomous and it's all sort of, uh, you know, open, it means anyone can join and, and try and liquidate people that are out of position. Um, and so that's an incentive where people can, obviously, they can liquidate assets for, for a price that it's... Uh, a a discount fundamentally, a right? Discount, there's a, there's exactly. a, there's a, and that, that discount is denominated by the protocol itself. Yes. And that, that is, and that discount is sort of, it's whatever the market ends up buying it at. But I mean, you know, the, the protocol does fix in place collateral ratios, stability fees, and stability fees is like an interest rate equivalent. And how does that work? We're kind of jumping around a bit, but I like it because I think it gives people an idea as to, as, as to the nuts and bolts of this. And then we can kind of, 
jump back up the yeah. top of the stack and talk about you know the the where Maker's been and where it go, it's going. So yeah, yeah so yeah, what yeah. is the stability fee in, in the Maker's uh, ecosystem? So the stability fee is obviously Maker's got to get paid, right? I mean, they've built a lot of great products. You want them to maintain those great products. So you don't want something for free. So what they do, they charge a stability fee, just like when you go to the bank and they say, hey, uh, it's a 2% interest rate to borrow this money. And you say, cool, uh, Maker has the same thing where it says, hey, for you to draw down debt, this stable coin, um, we're going to charge you a fee on the debt that you draw down. And that's a that's what they call the stability fee. And that's levy just like in the protocol. They don't come and send you bills separately. It's just kind of no bills, nothing like that. It's just it's they're just going to take it because remember you've over collateralized your position. So you've given them more. They're in the green basically, which means they've got more of yours than you have of theirs. So you can't you can't be under collateralized, and that means that they can essentially just skim it off the top when you close out your loan. So if I go to the bank and I say, hey, I want to close my loan, they go, cool. Well, you owe us this much in interest. Uh, we'll forego that and we'll take it off the top. So, you know, when I'm paying back my loan, um, they'll just take it out of the difference. Okay, cool. So what do you think people are out there um, using Maker for and and what are the assets that are most collateralized from from your point of view? Good question. Um, I would say the most collateralized ones are going to be probably USDC, USDC being a stable coin um, and WBTC and ETH. That's a really interesting um, point you're making, though. That that another stablecoin is the most collateralized. Um, mm. uh, I guess the, the the most amount of collateral in, in Dai, one of the most, is yeah. is another stablecoin. So why then are people? What what's the what's the um, the upside for people? What's the um, the use value of Dai that surpasses USDC? Well, I think I think with Dai. Like there's no silver bullet answer. Everyone's got all their own preferences and stuff like that. But you know, with when it comes to Dai, because of the open nature of it, uh, you know, when it it is there is no central clearinghouse. Um, the way that that works, that provides people a lot a lot more flexibility. Let's say, and so some people might not. Uh, they might lo- not like the concentration risk of, let's say, USDC having one entity that manages it, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like how people don't like putting all their eggs in one basket. Sometimes that's the case. And, um, you know, that makes sense where they're sort of just swapping out a centralized stable coin for a decentralized one. And uh, I think we see quite a lot of that. Um, and, you know, if you look at USDC is a huge portion of the collateral right? So all the underpinning people, all the people that come to Maker, and right now there's about six and a half billion dollars worth of dye that's been generated. So, you know, the collateral in the system is really big. It's like, you know, tens of millions of dollars. Um, and so if we look at, you know, the the infrastructure that they've got, they're producing a stable coin, but they've also got stable coins collateralized. And the reason why people swap them over is because they find DAI a bit more open and flexible than they might with something like USDC. Well, I've definitely noticed that a couple of liquidity, I mean, other projects are preferencing DAI for the for the um, for the swap. So, say you know you have a new project that spins up, and maybe it's another uh, decentralized project, uh, and they yeah. kind of preference DAI. So then you've got people who are long USDC, and they think, oh well, I want to play around in this project. But I'm going to get eaten on fees if I use USDC. Let me swap this out uh, and let me do this in a kind of a leveraged way to a certain extent. It's really fascinating. And and so, it I mean, okay, insane. okay. 
it really is insane. That's probably a good way to describe <laughs> it. Most people on, uh, listening to this are probably going to um, be lost. No, not necessarily. There's a lot of a lot of people will know exactly what's going on, but that will be blowing everyone's minds. I, I think the, um, the where I want to get to though now is mm-hmm. um, how Maker has got to this point of being a fully self sufficient DAO, and you know, like that. That's an idea that people don't necessarily kind of come to, you know, come in contact with very often. So it'd be awesome if you could give me a, a story about what a DAO is, right? Because <laughs> some people might have heard of the DAO. In fact, yeah, I was exposed DAO, to that, yeah. right? I was exposed to that. You were probably exposed to that. That was a really amazing and awful moment in the history of blockchain. And um, but this is, you know, a DAO is, is a generic term, meaning um, decentralized autonomous organization. So tell us what that means. Yeah, so basically a DAO is like a club. Like it's a club that has voting. You know, you go to a, a, a golf club, a tennis club, or a, you know, a book club or a bowling club. They've all got teams basically. And a DAO is just a way for teams and people to coordinate in a way that's transparent on chain. So all the decisions are being made on chain, which means everyone can view what happened and, and the process towards that. But, you know, that, that, and that's a DAO effectively. Like it's, it's a way of saying it's an on-chain group or club. Like that's the easiest yeah. way to think of it. Yeah, a blockchain, a blockchain union, credit union. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It's the equivalent of almost like starting a corporate entity or a company in the real world. You'd start a DAO in the you know, decentralized world because that helps coordinate with people you've never met or you don't know or they're on the other side of the world, but it does it in a totally open and transparent way. And so the, the purpose of DAOs and why they're sort of such a beachhead and figurehead for a lot of the conversation now is because DAOs are a coordination tool, but they're much more prominent now because so much infrastructure has been built that there is something to coordinate around now, you know, because back five years ago, you know, you don't need to create a DAO or six, you know, five, six years ago to create a DAO, you can't. There's not really much on chain to coordinate around, but now that you've got such a like a, a thriving ecosystem of DApps, you know, payment applications, artworks, all this kind of stuff that's going sort of getting digitized on chain. Uh, that's what DAOs serve the purpose of, and so with Maker, because there is no you know there's no central entity, um, they've made it a very pragmatic. There is a central entity, but they've started very pragmatically, and they haven't sort of just jumped in and said. We're decentralized. That's it. Like, which is a lot, a lot of pro, uh, companies do. What Maker's done is they started from the grassroots and they've basically formed a very organic following. So it hasn't been explosive growth like you might see today when new projects launch and they're worth a billion dollars overnight. Maker has been linearly growing really strongly, just con- just consistently, basically since they started. And and I think a lot of that comes from the way that they attracted that early foundation of users and and community members. Because if you are, you know, they're trying to seed an idea and a network into a whole open system, you need to do it really well to maintain control. So Maker, MakerDAO, the term Maker, they've got a a token called Maker, obviously. Um, And that that is a, a token which essentially is 
you know, any MakerDAO uh, token holders can vote in the DAO. So that's the way you participate in the company. Just like you've got equity in a company, you have equity in a DAO by buying the token. And it's like one token, one vote kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So if you think of MakerDAO as the Fed Reserve of the internet or whatever you want to call it, then it's like they've got a million tokens like in total existence. So imagine a million seats at the Fed Reserve. Think of it that way, where the more people the more people you have that know about the market and the goals of maker and the vision for the team that the more they understand that the more those seat holders the pe- the million people sitting at the fed can do things that add value to the protocol um and so i think that's that's been just a, such an interesting dynamic and obviously when you're starting something you don't want to you don't want to say hey we're the fed reserve and then go list your token on you know crack and right away and have a hundred million different token holders that have bought some because not in that's a bad way, but you don't want to do that just as the first step. If you're trying to build a protocol, because when you release a token, these things live forever almost, and you don't really get a second chance at the term is tokenomics. And I don't really like that term, but you know, (laughs) to design the incentives for a system, this isn't a startup world in the startup world. If you and I were doing a company, we could create a company, we could make a mistake and then sort of top down authority say, no, we're undoing that and we're going to pivot or something. As where when blockchains and distributed systems do that, once you push them in motion, which means, you know, getting them on chain and deploying them and uh, making them live and exciting. And issuing you know, the token, up, yeah. Yeah, you're up, it's, it's in the hand of the community now because you're quite literally giving it to the community, which is not a bad thing. But it's a bad thing if you haven't really curated the community successfully. Or educated them, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. And so so a lot of the time when people come out and they make a token, they spray and pray. They want everyone holding the token and they want everyone sort of, you know, they don't really value the token holder mindset. They value the number of people holding the tokens. And I think a lot of the motivation for that is obviously, one is awareness and, you know, increasing the value perception of the token because everyone's excited about it. So it's creating that FOMO. But then two is you like when you, when you, when you're listing these tokens, a lot of people rush and they lose control of their protocol because they've now got a, you know, 10,000 token holders that are all uninterested in what they're actually trying to do for the long term. A really great example of this is EOS um, where they basically, you know, they launched their token or whatever and their protocol, and then they launched it on the exchanges. And next thing you know, you've got, you know, 100,000 people holding EOS tokens, but they don't know how to vote. They don't know how to contribute. They don't, like, it's just, they're just gambling on it, basically. And so that's why there's this kind of, you know, this slow, methodic uh, process that they've taken, which makes it sort of, they've been in the back seat of a lot of things. They haven't been the sexy name on everyone's mind, um, but they are the sexiest piece of infrastructure in, I would say literally in the world behind Bitcoin. And I'm not even joking. I would say maker stands to outlive Ethereum actually. If That's that big call. Sense. I mean, at the moment, I think you've got to be clear that it's built on top of Ethereum. <laughs> exactly. Yes, yes, yes. They're going to, well, I mean, Afterpay is another example of, that did that. They were built out of a, they, they, they were funded by a startup and then they ended up buying that startup or something to that degree. The people that were sort of, the house they were built in, they ended up buying. Um, and so I think Maker, Maker sort of, they've done a very great job at being pragmatic in decentralizing and, and communicate because like they've had to communicate with regulars. If you're building a competitor, the US dollar, like it's a smart thing to, to engage with 
people that can, you know, uh, kill the dream, let's say. And Maker has had the support of just, oh, man, like they have really attracted the smartest people in the world, but also just people that really give a shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like when you're building something that you're really passionate about, you need people to be able to see it and believe it and understand it so that when you take your hands off the wheel as a decentralized protocol, you know that it's going to be in good company. I mean, if we think about Satoshi, when Satoshi started Bitcoin, um, if, if Satoshi went and gave Bitcoin, Bitcoin, you know, irreversible money, that's great. That's great for gambling and adult websites and all these areas where there's a lot of fraud. But if Satoshi created it and went to those people first, the market would, it would expand and grow like a distributed system does in a much different way than it did than it is today. So instead of doing that, because, you know, the incentives are misaligned if you're sending it to people that are, you know, very driven by short-term financial incentives. Instead, Satoshi basically put it to the crypto protocol developers or the core, like cryptographers, and that sort of sets a stronger foundation for curating the community for the long term. So Maker's done that really well. And the funny thing with lending, right, you see a lot of people coming out trying to compete with Maker. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a really good thing. But the problem is they're sort of missing the mark where they're trying to create um, a competitor, but they're doing it in a different way where they're going to rush to market and sort of give everyone their token and lose kind of lose control over their Federal Reserve board seat, so to speak. You know, if we think of Maker like that, a lot of these competitors coming into the market, they're just rushing it. And I mean, when you've got a lending product, which is what Maker is, the only way to value a lending product is not by assets under management or anything like that. It is how efficient are you at recouping the money that you let out, like you let people borrow. And, you know, if you're, if you're funding a centralized startup that focuses on loans, you know, if they can, if you come to, if someone comes to me and says, Hey, I'm building a lending company. And it's like, we've written 10,000 loans in the first week and we're going to write 25,000 next week. I'd be like, Oh, that's awesome. Cool. Call me when you know how many have paid them back. Do you know what I mean? Like that's not the right metric. And a lot of people are trying to go for the wrong metrics because, you know, uh, that's i don't know if that's making any sense yeah. by the way john no 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 it's, it's i think it's fascinating i think you what, what you've identified here is the the kind of the risks uh and also the kind of uh, i guess the nature of of decentralized orgs in in the modern in in these in these seasons these bull run seasons yes. because the financial incentives really start playing a, a massive role in the way that people approach projects and a lot of people in the space, 100%, are are building, and, and other people are, are looking to to seek profit, right? And and so there's a when you're building, it's yeah, it those incentives aren't necessarily sometimes they're aligned, sometimes they're 100% aligned. In fact, there's always a little bit of that, right? There's always an incentive, like a financial incentive there, and that's a good thing. But yeah, but um, if there's too much, then I, I I'm, I'm seeing what you're saying here. There's a potential yeah. for projects to get derailed by that. Totally. And you've seen it, like, look at the yield farming last year in 2020, 2020, yeah, yield farming took yeah. off, right? And yield feels, farming feels is like longer ago. Like, oh, God. If, if Yield farming is the equivalent of, you know, Uber does yield farming, Lyft does yield farming, any Groupon does it, Domino's does it. It's called refer a friend, basically. And so it's an incentive model where Uber would say, we really like having you as a customer and we're going to make money off you long term. So we're going to give you 15 bucks if you share this with your friend that doesn't have an account. 
So I'm getting 15 bucks, my friend is. Now that works because Uber has got a ton of data to quantify how much they can give away, but long-term make it a profitable exercise. And so that's a good strategy for marketing. Now, yield farming is the same thing where they're basically subsidizing the yield rates and, and incentivizing people to throw volume at things so that they can extract these bonuses that are given by the protocol. So it's like saying, hey, for every person, now Maker doesn't do this, but it'd be the equivalent of saying, hey, for every person that takes out a loan, we're going to give you, you know, X and some incentive to use the protocol. Or reduce your stability fee or whatever that might be. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and you get these kind of incentives, but the problem is most of them don't work because like if you're giving away free money to people, they are going to come for free. You're going to attract people that want to get free money. You're not going to attract people that are looking for the safest, most secure lending system. You're going to attract a whole different type of customer. So what we've seen is this early ripe, early rotten thing, which is um, I really liken it to Groupon because I find that Groupon is probably the best correlated example in the real world. In in yield farming, right, when all these protocols are coming out, they're trying to basically attract attract eyeballs and so they offer very generous rates and you know big interest rates and earning just earning capacity goes like they're basically selling you on how much money you can make now that's good but um it doesn't last because just if i was running a cupcake store and i did an ad on groupon you know i'm going to get you know sell my five dollar cupcakes for a dollar fifty and get a hundred you know a thousand people there one day that's cool, but I'm probably not going to make money from that exercise. And most businesses actually use Groupon as an advertising tool, not as a revenue generating exercise. And the reason why they do that is because revenue generating requires repeat, consistent, predictable customers. And they don't actually get that when you're, you're it's a red flag to a bull. So if no one wants to pay $5 for my cupcakes, yet all of a sudden, everyone wants to pay $1.50. Are they the same people? No, they're different people that are looking for a bargain. And that's what that's one of the things that happens with yield farming that can derail a lot of projects. And I'd know that Maker, they haven't done any of that yield farming stuff. They haven't done an ICO. They've just literally curated investors and teams to to try and support them and just, you know, not incentivizing them, just really kind of organically asking to collaborate with teams that work uh, work well with them and have a, a shared vision. So, Well, that seems to be working. And, and, uh, and really I think well. it's really, really interesting and exciting. And, and you know, I've used, I've used Dai, Dai <laughs> however you want to pronounce it, um, <laughs> yeah. D-A-I. So for people who are listening and don't understand the distinction here, uh, MakerDAO is the protocol and they have a voting token called Maker and, and Dai is the kind of stable coin that you can create using the protocol. But look, just, you know, you've been, you've given a lot of your time. I really appreciate that. Let's, let's just look into the future. I know you're really good at this. Um, what, <laughs> aren't we all, uh, what, what, is, what is the future for MakerDAO? You, 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 you spoke kind of, um, briefly about where it's going, but let's, yeah, give me, give me an overview. Um, I think MakerDAO is, so the next step, so MakerDAO is, uh, they're the Swiss army knife of the industry right now. So if you look at all these applications that are flying around, all paths probably lead back to MakerDAO somehow, whether that's they primarily use DAI or they're lending against it, whatever it is. Um, now, in the future, I think Maker is going to tap out the ecosystem, which is means that they've almost exhausted all the assets 
on chain, so different people's tokens and stuff that are valuable enough to be used as collateral. So the next extension, which they're starting to do now, is real world assets. And I know that might sound pretty crazy, but imagine being able to, you know, collateralize real world assets, whether that's a property, whether that's an art piece or whatever it is, um, and take that to the protocol, collateralize it and draw down against it. You know, that's a next, that's a next step where obviously the total addressable market for real world assets is going to be, you know, humongous. So make it our sort of needs to find ways to accept as many collateral types as possible without compromising the system. So I think real world assets is going to be a huge challenge for them, but it's going to be big. Um, and I think that over time, Maker will become so well distributed across different chains. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, their DAI asset, their token, um, it will become really well distributed across chains and it will probably make it one of the most, if not the most resilient protocol to ever exist, I would think. And I know that sounds pretty ambitious, but they're just really, really good at what they do. Well, they've done really well so far, so I exactly. think you're not wrong there. Yeah. That's really that's really interesting. I think you're right that there are so many challenges that that real world uh, to to blockchain world bridge, but but that yeah. but yet in saying that, that's already happening. So I I, I get the feeling that they're going to be they're going to be on the money there. What um you mentioned multi chain, so is it on the roadmap for them to uh, to bridge across to other chains? This is the thing, right? You know, even if it's not on their roadmap specifically you're going to have other teams that build solutions because die is so liquid and so big in the ethereum community when you have people uh building on top of different chains that are let's say challenging ethereum um you know maker doesn't really have that fight in them where they're they they shouldn't really i would imagine most teams shouldn't really have too much loyalty to one system um, and should just be really focused on growing the vision of their protocol. And I think extending to multiple chains for Maker is is something that's very probable and doable. Um, be- especially one interesting reason to think about is, you know, you know how you said, you know, people are going to be trying to scoop up my debt after I get liquidated. You've got people waiting to buy that on buy the the discounted assets, right? Now, when gas fees are really really high which they have been, and and that's obviously a sign of great growth, um, it makes, it challenges Maker a bit. Because now if you've got $1,000 worth of debt that needs to be liquidated for the protocol to stay secure and, you know, solvent, but it cost me $350 in gas to get that, to, to, to you know, execute that transaction where I'm trying to buy this $1,000 worth of debt, you know, it gets jammed up there where the incentives now aren't, it's not worth me paying $350 to get 2% discount on a thousand dollars worth of Ethereum. And so mm. if you expand this thought process, network congestion can be really, really scary for something like Maker. Um, because if you've got a whole bunch of positions that need to be converted back and sold off, like that they're bringing the system down because they're under collateralized or they're outside their ratios. If it's not, financially viable for uh, one of the community members to buy that uh, those assets at a discount, then that's a really big problem. And I see that as being probably one of the first uh, 
big problems. Uh, I mean, amongst every other problem they've probably faced already. But I think that's probably a new problem that teams will be uh, circling around Maker, trying to trying to win, trying to, to solve, find the solution. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're basically throwing solutions at it, just like you're seeing now with all these scaling solutions. They're all trying to do the same thing, and I think Maker. A lot of people Maker is a great place to start when you look at scaling, um, because all the teams that do stable coins are typically the best examples of teams that scale scaling that have scaling issues and have either solved them as well. So the best scaling solution in the industry that I've ever seen since day zero is still to this day Tether. Tether was on Bitcoin. Bitcoin network got choked because it was too busy and too slow and cost inefficient. So they extended to have ERC20 and they've got it on EOS and they've got it on Tron and they've probably got it on Solana and all that stuff. So what they do, instead of waiting for technical implementations on their current native chain that they're operating on, they'll spill over into other chains as a stopgap solution until there's like a silver bullet on the chain that they're operating on. I realize I've said a lot of words. No, no, um, that makes sense. <laughs> and I think the incentives are definitely there for for Maker to consider scaling options because yeah. of that, you know, that risk factor that you you mentioned when it comes to gas fees. I guess the other solution is to make sure that there's, you know, big massive vaults out there where the gas fees are only a minor percentage of the of the of the write down, but either way, it's a it's a challenge to be to be solved no no doubt. Well, Mike, um thanks for your time. We we I really Appreciated your insight on, on Maker and I'm no sure worries. our listeners did as well. So we'll have to talk about other stuff in the future. Well, thanks thanks for coming on and speak to you soon. All right, cheers, mate. Bye. Thanks everyone for joining me on this show and for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe and review on your podcast platform of choice and we'll make sure we take you right to the edge of the crypto frontier. And remember, you can learn more about all things crypto by visiting kraken.com slash learn. Until next time, I've been Jonathan Miller. And this has been the Crypto Frontier.